This morning we're going to uh, continue to look at uh, Peter, one of Jesus' close friends, because um, between the time that Jesus first met Peter and the time when Peter wrote the two books that are named after him in the Bible, uh, Peter changed, right? Uh, He was really transformed. He became uh, what we're calling this year soul-satisfied. He experienced contentment in Christ. And so last week we saw that, uh, and as Leon read that verse of scripture, we saw that at the very core of this change uh, was the realization that the precious blood of Jesus, you know, washed away his sinfulness. And uh, that was right at the core, that the cross was at the core. And so Peter realized that, you know, all the gold and all the silver in the world could never do for him what the precious blood of Jesus shed on Calvary's cross did for him. And so um, we see Peter and we think about him, Simon Peter. uh, As we've seen in the last few weeks, Simon Peter, like everybody, has strengths and weaknesses, right? And uh, I think, you know, uh, when you think about Peter, um, one of the things that I really think is a strength is Peter was not afraid to act. Um, He was not afraid to go first. He was not afraid to make a decision. Every once in a while, I'll talk to some woman who's been dating some guy for 30 years, and she's like, you know, I wish this guy would make a commitment, you know? It's a strength to act and to make a commitment and make a decision and to take a stand. And, and Peter had that. He had that going for him, huh? Uh, there's strength in a man like that. Uh, Jesus says, follow me. And Peter is like all in, right? Drops the nets, drops the business, and he's all in. He's following on. Uh, Peter's not really afraid of too much. He's you know, he's swinging his sword when there's a whole garrison of armed Roman soldiers surrounding him. He's whipping out his sword and trying to whack somebody's head off. You know, he's just not too afraid of danger. Uh, when Jesus asks the question, you know, who do people say that I am? It's Peter who speaks up and says, you know what? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He's the first to say so. And so I say there's strength in a man like that. There's strength in a man who has conviction and is not afraid to say what he believes. There's strength in a man like that. But there's also some weaknesses that we observed in Peter's life. Um, Peter, you might say, is given to extremes. Uh, Peter's either way over on one side or way over on the other side. You know, one minute he's telling Jesus, you can't go to the cross, and Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan. And then the next minute he's saying to Jesus, I'll die for you. And then the next minute he's like denying he even knows who Jesus is. Three times in a row. Uh, Here's Peter, right? Jesus comes to him, and Peter's like, there's no way you, the son of the living God, is going to wash my feet. Well, then the Lord talks to him, and he's like, well, okay, but then give me a whole bath. You know, Peter, he's at one extreme or the other. He he just can't kind of take things for what they are. And, um, you know, in Acts chapter 11, we saw that Peter is eating with Gentiles because God gave him a vision, all these unclean animals, kill and eat. And so he goes and he, all of a sudden he realizes that Jesus didn't just die for Jewish people, he died for all people. And so Peter's eating with these Gentiles, which was totally against all of his traditions and so forth. He's breaking down all these barriers. And then by Galatians chapter 2, He's sitting there eating with the church, and some traditional Jewish people show up, and he cowered like a coward, just shies away and and, and goes and withdraws from eating with those people, to the point where the Apostle Paul has to call him out to his face in front of everybody and kind of tells him, why are you being such a wimp? Uh, So, you know, Peter, he's like this swinging pendulum, right? For Peter, 
he's either at 12, 12 o'clock high noon on some high note, or he's at 12 o'clock midnight on some low note. There's no 9 o'clock in the morning. There's no 3 o'clock in the afternoon for Peter. He's just either at high noon or he's at midnight. You know, there's a, a lot of black and white in Peter, not a lot of gray. And so um, here's the thing, though, about Peter. God used Peter in really significant ways. God used both his strengths and his weakness. Peter was volatile, but he was teachable. And the Lord had a profound impact on his life. Uh, he's this big, strong, rugged fisherman type guy. He's a, he's a man's man, right, Peter? You like Peter because he's a, he's a real man, you know? But then, you know, Jesus looks at him, just looks at him. Uh, after he denied knowing Jesus three times, and, and Peter goes out and cries like a baby. He's got that sensitive side to him. And, and so he's, again, this, you know, 12, high, 12 noon or 12 midnight, you know? This hard-working businessman, Peter, falls to his knees and, and says to Jesus, you know, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, right after Jesus gives him a windfall profit in his business. Remember, Jesus said, take your net, put it on the other side. It got so full of fish, they couldn't even pull it in. And Peter realizes, ah, oh, this is a miracle, and you know what? I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. Depart from me. I'm a sinful person. One time, uh, and if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, in John chapter 6, I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 6. One time there in John chapter 6, uh, Jesus gave a pretty hard teaching. It was a pretty important teaching, uh, very significant uh, but it was pretty hard, and people, uh, they didn't understand it. And Jesus actually says to them, you know, that he was uh, teaching them uh, a spiritual lesson, but the people took it literally, and, and um, as a result, a lot of people left Jesus from following him. And in John chapter 6, Jesus is talking about communion. He's talking about his flesh and his blood, and, and, uh, and he says, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part in me. And people kind of thought, you know, at face value, that's kind of gross. And, uh, you know, what, what's he talking about? We don't get it and so forth. And, and so um, um, when we get down to, um, on the wrong page, we get down to verse 66. Um, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So it was hard for people to understand what he was saying. But Jesus says, you know, I'm, I'm speaking spiritually to you. And, but they didn't get it. Anyway, they all left. And so then in verse 67, Jesus turns to his disciples, right? And uh, Jesus says, uh, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter, right, answered him, Lord, to whom are we going to go? If we leave you, where are we going to go? Who, who's like you? What, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Right? Peter's starting to get it. Peter's starting to understand. We believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. And then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, uh, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. But it's Peter. He's starting to get it. He's like, man, if we leave you... I think Peter realized he got to a place in his life where he was at what we call a point of no return. There was no turning back. He took his stand beneath the cross, right? He, the cross hadn't happened yet, but Jesus is teaching about it. And Peter starting to dawn on him, starting to realize what this is all about. And so uh, Peter knew there was no turning back. There's no other place to go. There's no other name given among men whereby we might be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through him. And Peter's starting to get it. 
I think it's significant that the very last thing Peter writes to us in 2 Peter, the very last thing Peter says, the last piece of advice that Peter gives to you and me is grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what Peter did. You see, Peter started out, but he grew in his understanding. He grew in his knowledge of Christ. He grew in the grace of Christ and embraced it. Peter grew, and as he grew, his contentment level rose. He became increasingly comfortable in his own skin. He became increasingly confident in who he was and secure in his own identity in in Christ. And he leveled out, and actually Peter became dependable. You could actually take him at his word towards the end of his life. And he would do what he said. I don't know how this happens to you, but boy, when people say something and then don't do it, it's so frustrating. Because it's like, how do you ever have a relationship if you can't depend on what people say? And eventually, Peter got to be dependable. Um, And so he became that rock, right? Without Jesus, he would have always been Simon. And that's it. But with Jesus... Peter eventually became that rock. And so if you um, uh, turn to um, Acts, the book of Acts, you know, in the very uh, beginning, the first half of the book of Acts, uh, it's all about Peter. And and you start to see what happened here. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit uh, comes, Pentecost, and uh, people are all confused. They're wondering what's going on. People are like, ah, these people are all drunk. And Peter gets up and he preaches this great sermon, Peter, in Acts chapter 2. And uh, just, you know, takes the thing on, and he, he, he settled. He, he decided what it was all about, and he took his stand, and he, and he gets up, and he shares with everybody what, what happened. And, and it was such a powerful sermon that in verse 37, I always uh, think this is like every pastor's dream, right? You preach a sermon, and in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, what shall we do? That's like the goal of a sermon. When the people say, what do you want me to do? You know, and um, that that was so powerful that that all the people were moved to just ask that question. You know, what are we going to do? Because Peter said, look, you killed the son of God. You chose a murderer to put in his place, you Jewish people. And Peter just went after them. It's a great sermon. But uh, that's Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, Peter heals a crippled beggar. I mean, he's just walking into the temple there and he he sees this, this guy who's um, crippled, he's a beggar, and uh, in verses 6 and 7 of uh, chapter 3, you you remember these are kind of famous words, Peter says, look, silver or gold, I don't have, but what I do have, I'll give you. This is great for anybody who wants to be a witness for Christ. What I do have, I have Christ, what I do have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. I can just see this big old rugged Peter the fisherman, strong as an ox, right? Just taking his hand, grabbing down, grabbing this guy, lifting him right up, and the guy starts jumping around, you know? Uh, One time when I was a kid, uh, I have an uncle who was a mason. And, you know, always mixing cement and carrying cinder blocks, building buildings and all this kind of stuff. And he's a pretty strong guy. And he had a friend. uh, His name was Bud, I remember. And um, Bud was a truck mechanic, and uh, he was underneath a truck one time when it fell off a jack. And the uh, wheels, uh, the uh, brake drums of the of tandem dump truck came right down on his legs. He was sitting there doing brakes, and the drums came down, and he lost both legs. So Bud was a guy with no legs, and uh, he was a cripple. 
And uh, we used to, my uncle had a bunch of snowmobiles, and we used to, in the wintertime, he'd take us up into New York State where he had a piece of property, and we'd just wail around all over the place on these trails and snowmobiles, and he used to love to take Bud with him because Bud could sit on a snowmobile because you do the whole thing with your hands. You don't really need your feet. And so we're flying through these fields one time, and all of a sudden we turn around, and there's no Bud, right? We look around, and like, hey, where's Bud? Well, Bud went around a corner and fell off the machine, but he couldn't get back on, Right? So I remember, you know, we circled around, and, and I remember my uncle, he got off the machine, he goes over to Bud, and he takes him with one hand, like a sack of potatoes, he just lifts him up, and he flops him back on the machine, and off we go again, you know. <laughs> and I just see Peter, this big old guy, just grabbing a hold of Bud, and, and, and this crippled guy, just lifting him up, and the Bible says, you know, that uh, this guy, he, he instantly, his feet and ankles became strong, he jumped to his feet, he began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, praising God, I mean, you could just see this, right? I always have that image of my uncle loving that guy with no legs, you know? He just took care of him, he just, he brought him every place he went, every time we had a party for my grandmother or something at my uncle's house, Bud was there, and uh, he just loved him. And so, anyway, but Peter, you know, I just picture him doing that kind of thing. And, but, you know, he heals the crippled guy. He gets in trouble for it because all the Jews are like, you know, we can't have this. And, and so in Acts chapter 4, he gets in trouble. And in verse 18, um, you know, the leaders of the uh, Jewish uh, contingent there in Jerusalem, uh, they call the Peter and John in. And look, what they commanded them, verse 18, uh, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Shut your face, they say to Peter. Look at what Peter says, verse 19. Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot stop talking about what's happened to us. What happened to Peter? What changed Peter? What what, how did Peter go from Simon to Peter? Uh, look at, in chapter 5, look at this. Um, in, in chapter 5 and verses 15 and 16, uh, it's about Peter again. And as a result, Peter healed some people and stuff. And, and people brought sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. People just wanted to get in his shadow as he walked by. What happened to Peter? What a rock. In Acts chapter 9, he actually brings a dead person back to life, Peter. God uses Peter to bring somebody back to life, Dorcas. And so, you know, Peter changed. That's my point. Peter changed. And uh, Peter came into his own. Peter got comfortable in his own skin. Uh, Peter, I would say, found contentment in his relationship with Christ. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that the very first lesson that Peter learned, the first lesson about how to move towards contentment, the very first lesson that Peter had to learn, uh, if you go back all the way to uh, Matthew chapter 16, the very first lesson is this. Self-denial leads to contentment. I understand that it's totally counterintuitive. I understand that as soon as you hear the word contentment, you think about yourself. But what Peter learned is that self-denial, 
was the first step towards contentment. And it's a very important lesson. I think it's the, uh, the biggest, it's the foundational lesson. Self-denial. And Jesus taught this to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, right after Peter has one of these 12 o'clock to 12 o'clock moments. You know, 12 high noon, Peter's like, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. 12 midnight, Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. So Peter's got this huge, you know, doesn't know where he's at kind of thing. And then Jesus teaches this lesson. The very next thing that Jesus says is in verse 34. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, if anybody would come after me, he must deny his self. That's a pretty important lesson. If anybody, includes all of us, wants to follow Jesus, wants anything to do with Christ, he must, it's not an option, he must deny himself, take up his own cross, and come follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good would it be for a man if he were to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. First lesson Peter had to learn. In order to walk with Christ, he had to deny himself. Self-denial is the first step towards contentment. Peter learned from Jesus that his self, his soul, his thoughts, his feelings, and his choices were all corrupted by sin. And he had to learn from Jesus how to think, how to feel, and how to make choices. And you can never learn from Jesus until you make room for him by getting rid of self. Because when you're full of self, there's simply no room for Christ to occupy your thoughts, your feelings, and your choices. So the very first lesson in a step towards contentment is this lesson of self-denial. And Peter learned from Jesus that his own ideas, the things that came out of his mouth, his own thoughts his own feelings about the way life should be lived, his own feelings about who Jesus was, his own feelings about himself, they were all corrupted. And until he could get rid of himself, there was no room for Jesus to get in and to begin to change the way he thought and the way he felt and the way he made choices. And I would call this the lesson of the cross. This is the lesson we learned from Jesus. He didn't really want to become all of our sin, but he denied himself, took up the cross, and became our servant. And in doing that, found contentment in his relationship with his Father. When you're full of yourself and God's plan comes knocking on your door, you tend to grumble, you tend to complain, you tend to resist. Uh, you're like Peter, like Peter was at the beginning. You're saying to, to the Lord when his plan comes your way, no way. And you like to argue. Every time, you know, you read the scriptures or you hear a sermon or something, you're like, yeah, but, and you argue. And that's what Peter did. Every time Jesus would say something, Peter would argue about it. Everything Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you know, argued about. But when you take up your cross, 
When you learn the lesson of the cross that Jesus teaches us, and you give up self to make room for Christ to come and to live inside of us, we take a step towards contentment. And then when you're empty of yourself and God's will comes at your door, you don't tend to complain so much. You tend to be satisfied. You tend to be content. You tend to say, okay, I trust you. And God brings his plan to your life, you know, and you learn in that process to be content the way Jesus did as he died for us. When you get baptized and identify with Jesus, you first identify with him in his death. You first, right, go under the water to say, you know what, I'm going to die to that old life that was full of me. And I'm going to rise to this new life that I want to increasingly be full of you. That's how to identify with Christ. But we have to identify with his death before we can identify with his resurrection. Um, so I want to suggest to you three, um, three lessons uh, with regard to self-denial that I think Peter learned. Uh, first of all, I would say that Peter came to realize that he was nothing without Jesus. He was nothing without Jesus. When you think about uh, Peter... Um, I believe he came to realize, you know, when he said it himself out of his own mouth, he says, you know, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You know, you should have nothing to do with me. You're the holy son of God. You should have nothing to do with me. I'm a sinful man. I am nothing without you. And I think Peter learned that. In Acts chapter 3, if you still uh, have your Bible open, you'll notice that, you know, Peter heals this crippled guy. And um, next thing you know, of course, the guy is like hanging all over Peter and uh, the crowd gathers and uh, everybody's so amazed and so forth. But notice what Peter says in verse 11. Uh, While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. They came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our power or our godliness, we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Whoa, Peter! Go! I mean, can you imagine this? And, and, and it's just like Peter's saying, look, this is, it's not about me. This is something God did to glorify Jesus. Wow, Peter really changed. You know, you disowned the author, of, you killed the author of life. And then he says, but you know what? God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given complete healing to him, as you can see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did, you know, your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out, that times of refreshing, read contentment, might come. Wow, Peter, what happened to you? How'd you get from being Simon to being Peter? You know, this solid rock, you know? Well, uh, Peter realized, uh, I I deserve nothing 
but I have everything in Christ. Peter realized, I'm nothing without Christ. And it enabled him then to deny himself in order to embrace Christ. Would I be right if I said that usually behind discontentment is the thought that I deserve better? Why me? I deserve better. Peter learned this lesson. No! I deserve hell and got grace. I deserve what a moron deserves because that's what I am apart from Christ. But God came to me and taught me and changed me and put his spirit in me and made me something different, changed me into Peter. Apart from Christ, I'm nothing. My thoughts are confused, corrupted. My, My feelings are, my soul is corrupted. And Peter came to realize that, you know. I would tell you that nobody ever denied themselves more than Jesus. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became a servant. And he let people spit in his face and mock him all the way to the cross to dying. And yet Jesus is the single most contented person who ever lived. Self-denial is the first step in the direction of contentment. It's the lesson of the cross that Peter learned. Second, I think Peter learned this. Um, he, he learned to deny himself by redefining what's absolute in life and what's optional. You ever think about this in your life? What, what's important and what's secondary? What's necessary and what's not? It's really not necessary for me to have pleasure in life. It's really not that necessary, right? Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. But it is necessary for me to have peace with God. It's absolutely necessary to be at peace with God, not not to have God against me, right? It's not necessary for me to have honor and preferential treatment in life, but I do need to to have God be for me and not against me. It's not necessary for me to be rich, but it is absolutely necessary that I stop being the enemy of God that I am apart from Christ. Christ that I stop being in the crosshairs of God's judgment and wrath apart from Christ. It's really not necessary for me to have every comfort in life to be pampered, but it's absolutely necessary for me to know that I will live the next life not in hell but in heaven. What's really necessary in life? I think Peter was beginning to understand, you know, what's really necessary. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm happy to have a good marriage. I'm happy to love my kids. I'm happy to live in a nice house. I'm happy to drive a convertible and have a hobby and have warm clothes. I'm happy for all of that. But there's one thing that's really absolutely necessary in life. And um, because I could have all of that and still be totally unaware of how spiritually impoverished I am. I could have all that this life has to offer and still be clueless about what's going to happen to me one second after I die. I could have all of this in life and be clueless that God considers me his enemy. Except for this one thing which is absolutely necessary, and I would say Peter learned it. Um, He learned to listen to Jesus. (laughs) He learned to sit at Jesus' feet. 
That's what he had to learn. There's one thing in life that's absolutely necessary. Because your thoughts and your feelings and your choices have all been corrupted by sin and by your nature and from your parents and grandparents and all the way back to Adam and Eve, there's one thing that's absolutely necessary in life, and it's to listen to Jesus, to sit at Jesus' feet, to learn from Jesus the truth about God, uh, the truth about yourself, the truth about your future, um, you might remember this, and, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that's what Peter learned, right? He learned to be quiet and listen to Jesus, to Jesus' words. You might remember in Luke chapter 10, uh, there were these two sisters, Mary and Martha, right? You're familiar probably with this uh, little bit, but in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed, is necessary, is absolute in life. And Mary has chosen that one thing, to sit and listen so that Jesus could reinform thoughts, feelings, and choices. In Acts chapter 4, one of my favorite verses about uh, Peter. In um, Acts chapter 4, Peter's in trouble for healing the crippled guy. He's in jail. Then he's before all the Jewish leaders and so forth, and they don't know what to do with him. Peter, you know, he just takes them on, and he says, you know, you killed the author of life and and all of this, and and they didn't kind of know what to do. But in verse 13, look look at this verse. This is just the greatest. This is Callie Quinn, whom whom Pete just talked about. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men... They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the one thing necessary in life, that you hang out with Jesus so that he can teach you the truth about God and teach you the truth about yourself and teach you how to respond and teach you what's coming in the future. It's the one thing that's absolutely necessary, and I think Peter learned it, and it enabled him to deny himself in order to allow Christ to take up residence in his heart. And then finally, the third way that Peter learned that lesson of self-denial, I think he realized the supreme value of his soul. Uh, If you go back to Matthew 16, have you ever really thought about these words um, of Jesus? He says, What good would it be for a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, your soul is the non-material part of your life, right? It's your thoughts, your feelings, your choices, your psyche. The word soul in Greek is psyche. Your your person, your person. When your body dies, it's your soul that goes to be with the Lord. It's that non-material part of you. And if you just ask the question, you know, how much of my life do I spend feeding my physical side, and how much of my life do I spend feeding my soul. If I were to gain everything the world has to offer and lose my soul, in other words, die not thinking right, not feeling right, and not choosing right, what would I have gained? You know, life is like, at max, maybe 100 years. Eternity is like huge. And apart from sitting next to Jesus and hanging out with him, our perspective is way off. 
And I would tell you that contentment is a function of our souls. Contentment happens in our souls. That's where contentment happens, and that's why you can't find it in the world around us. The reason we don't have more contentment is not because we don't have more things of this world, not that we don't have enough, but because the things of this world are simply not proportionate to our soul, which was made for God. You know, our soul has the capacity for God. It was designed to know God and his thoughts and his feelings and his choices and so on. And that's why the world around us can never really satisfy. We have a soul that's capable of God. And it's capable of eternity. That nothing short of God himself can satisfy. Everything in this world, including our bodies, are temporary and they're less than perfect. You know, having a soul without God is like having a stomach that's empty and craving food. That's dying of hunger. And then trying to satisfy it with cotton candy. You ever, you know, you just put a wad, I'm starving. You put a wad of that stuff and it just goes to nothing. And you think, oh, I'm still starving. I need more. No, you don't need more. You need real food. You don't need more cotton candy. It'll never satisfy you. You need real food. And in that teaching of Jesus, I'd encourage you to read it. When you go home in John chapter 6, Jesus said, my flesh is real food. And my blood is real drink. Right? And people didn't get it. And they didn't work hard enough to understand it. But eventually Peter understood. When we try to find contentment for the craving that's in our souls with more comfort or more pleasure or more adrenaline rushes or more sex or more money or more people or whatever, it never works because everything in the world is created, but your soul was made for the creator. And that's why nothing in this world can compare to the value of your soul. I think Peter learned that lesson. And he was able to deny his self in order to have more of Christ fill his soul. And so three ways in which Peter finally came to understand that Jesus came to restore our souls, as it says in the 23rd Psalm. And eventually Jesus became bigger than life to Peter. (laughs) And it was the name of Jesus that Peter was willing to die for. Self-denial, it's the lesson of the cross. And um, it's the first step towards contentment. And we learn it best as we come together around the Lord's table and celebrate what Jesus did for us as the example. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful for Peter and for the Bible and for the opportunity to just see the change in him and for... Uh, the things that you've revealed to us, these little windows into Peter and the ways in which Jesus made such a difference. And I pray that we too would have it settled in our hearts, Father, that the one thing really necessary in life is to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen and learn about who you really are, what you're really like, what's really important to you, who we really are, what our real problems are, and what's in store for us in the future. And only Jesus, only Jesus, can do that for us. And so help us not to be dependent on, you know, our parents' faith. Help us not to be dependent on anybody else, but help us to know that we can actually hear the words of Jesus as we open up the scriptures and ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.